Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Doc Flitz. So they're still not here. Not. It's been almost five years. What, what gives? Life, I guess, Dave. Life of being a movie critic, or in this case, life of being... A really dramatic life movie not critic. One that wake up before eleven. Yeah, these guys—they they seem to go by a different lifestyle entirely than us. But okay, everybody who wants to do a podcast, oh me, me, I do. They don't even show up once. Yeah, I think somebody stumbled into the studio one time, barely. Ninety-nine episodes after I I asked that question, so they're not here. We're doing it all over again for episode number one hundred of Rick. And Nick Talk Flicks. And Dave even has the headwear attire. I don't because I have my headphones on at the moment. You it's, broke the staple. It did work. I, I got it back <laughs> on, though. I got I got the little thread back in its place, and I was able to get my, get my hat properly reset again, especially for the photo. That was nice. Nice, nice. Yeah. Of course, we're radio guys. What are we in a photo for? Well. Even the show's artwork is art work it is art work that you put together by the way in case in case people were wondering a little bit about that that artwork that goes into this show that was dave putting that together that was his creation and it's just really cool looking i mean i loved what you did with the marquee there on the front photoshop yeah i loved what you did with the marquee there one of us apparently is very tuxedo related, or maybe not quite a tuxedo, um, blue blue suit related. The other one is a little bit more of the beard and Well, now beard. we've swapped roles. I'm slightly dressed in a button down, and you got some scruff going, and so we kind of back and forth. I guess, yeah, <laughs> I suppose. I was going to say beard and what else would be the description for for that guy, more of like, I, I was going to say like hipster look, but I don't know if that's totally a hipster Somebody's look out there. out of work uncle. An out of work uncle. Brother-in-law. On the couch for about a year. Something like that. Anyway, they, they've got the look, but it's it's such a cool look, though. I, I really thought that was pretty neat when you put that together. Paul Bunyan podcasting, which was a nice touch in there, too. Yeah, all of the above. Great story, too, on the, the origin of our podcast. So... We we put this together almost five years ago, and back when we created this podcast, there was a podcasting boom going on at the stations of Paul Bunyan Broadcasting and with our various personalities who are on the air. We were encouraged to make podcasts to populate our podcast content that we had going on at the time. We, were just, we didn't have anything at the time. We are just a radio station. All right, everybody, we're going to start to expand a little bit. We'd love to do some podcasting. Who wants to go? Me, me, no, no, take me. And there were, what, five shows, I think, that sprung out of that. And out of five years You later, were on two of them. I was on two of them. Uh, one, the, the nice gentleman retired, so we no longer do that one, and that's okay. But out of all of them, we are the last one standing, so to speak. Yes, we are. Yeah, because several of them 
took off quickly with a lot of enthusiasm. And then after a few episodes, and by a few, I mean like anywhere between two and five, it was, it was done. Although your weather podcast went a little bit longer than that. You had, you had a few, a few more episodes, I think, than, than that. But you had a few more topics yeah. to get into. So basically, we are the last podcast left standing by a mile actually by two miles i think at this point with how many episodes we've put together but that's what talking about movies can do you just have an endless array of topics to get into well even us amongst ourselves i don't know how how long do we want to go how many things do we have to talk about honestly i think as long as there are movies there's things to talk about we've been very specific about specific movies for whatever reason and that was the topic that day Maybe something that was very newsworthy, but you know, newsworthy things are only newsworthy for a moment. Then there's things that are just kind of general all the time. Hey, what do you think is the blah blah blah? There's always something to talk about. And when you've got movie fans like us, that when we do occasionally go to a movie together and maybe in a group, Hoove and I have been known to huddle in the lobby talking quietly because we don't want people to know the spoilers yeah, about exactly. what we have just seen. Like it was an episode taking place at the lobby of the Bemidji Theater, which, by the way, is a wonderful host for us, and they uh, sponsor us, and it's a great spot to go see some shows. Clearly, Hollywood is making a roaring back return here in 2022, and what better place to see it than on the front lines at the Bemidji Theater. You'll find them right off Highway 2 between Bemidji and Wilton. Great prices, too, by the way. And if you don't feel like going in to see a show, you're not feeling comfortable enough, I completely understand. I've been there myself, haven't yet seen the Batman, waiting for the crowds to die down before I go. Then by all means, go to the snack bar, get whatever you like, because that's how you really support a local theater. Go see the Bemidji Theater. Tell Missy we said hi. And we thank the Bemidji Theater for being the sponsor of this podcast from day one. Yeah. From the get-go, we we saw this, well, you saw this, Dave, as, hey, we got to get the Bemidji Theater on board as the sponsor of this podcast, and we've loved having that partnership with them ever since. So we thank them for being the sponsor of this podcast, the long-running sponsor, and they've promoted us. We've promoted them. It's been it's been really really great. Well, we got to give a shout out to Amy Quam. She's on the sales staff, and she's been largely the go-between between Hoove and I and the Bemidji Theater and Missy and crew. We're in booths and we're recording and we're doing this. So to go to talk to businesses, uh, that's where our sales staff comes in. So kudos yes. to Kwame for uh, being the good in between. Thank you, Amy. So here we are at number one hundred, and we're gonna go now back. What do we do? We're gonna go back to our roots. Well, yeah, that's that's the great <laughs> question. We're gonna go back to our roots and go back to the beginning a little bit here with with today's episode. Well, more than a little bit, but first, a quick update on current items as we usually do at the beginning of the podcast, and we have to start with the Batman because it made a huge splash in the opening weekend, the second movie in the pandemic era to go over $100 million domestically at the box office in its opening weekend, and it raced past that number, exceeded expectations as well. 128.5, I believe, was the number. $128.5 million for opening weekend at the box office for the Batman. Reviews are excellent, and I certainly can review that movie myself, too. No spoilers, with the fact no that spoilers. I, But I, of course, will not reveal anything, because there are many who have not seen it yet. So, um, great opening weekend, and really enjoyed getting a chance to go see it. Yeah, and so, initial impressions, I know you probably need to let this thing percolate a little bit, but... 
So you saw the new one. You're a big fan of the Dark Knight trilogy, the Dark Knight in particular. Basic, uh, what do you think? Do you think Pattinson as Batman? Do you think he's better as anybody else? What are your initial impressions? Well, there have been others who I'm friends with who have been quick to do the comparison game between Robert Pattinson and Christian Bale or Robert Pattinson and Michael Keaton or any of the others to play Batman and have been quick to make comparisons between this movie and other Batman iterations. I I want to go see it a second time to really nail down what my feeling is regarding where it stacks up, but three things stand out in particular. Number one, remember what you said to me in the lead up to this movie about what it looked like the vibe was going to be surrounding this this edition of Batman? Very gritty, very much like uh, the world's greatest detective. Yes, and that holds up. World's greatest detective really gets back to that portion of Batman's story and the way that he's been depicted, especially in the comics. It feels like you are watching a a composition of Batman in comic book form going on to the big screen. Hmm. It feels like you're watching that throughout the course of the movie. Um, and like you said, it is dark. Almost a crime noir. Very much so. Okay. It is a super noir. And I now we say. know what noir means, don't we? Yes, we do. We know that from talking through this. I. It, it is a super noir and, and a crime one at that. So definitely all of those things come into play. Secondly... Robert Pattinson does a tremendous job. He he really I, I mean the emotional weight is heavy with with this edition of Bruce Wayne and the way that he plays him and the manner in which he plays him. And Robert Pattinson does a terrific job with it. Like his his version of Batman, it works. It works really well. So definitely give him kudos for that. A, amongst a really strong supporting cast, but this movie, Batman is in almost every single scene. Almost every single scene. It's not like you're popping off to, to Bane's lair, like in The Dark Knight Rises and, and dropping in there. Batman is in just about every scene hmm. with this. So that's, that's the second thing. The third thing is this movie has, I mean, th- this movie cinematically is just, it, it's superb. Like, you've got to go see this movie in theaters with the images, the, the way that they shot it, and in particular, the score is outstanding. I've heard that's it getting is, a lot of extra attention. Oh, it is so good. There never seems to be a bad Batman theme. You go back to the, the Batman movies from late 80s, early 90s, the theme there sticks in your brain. Hans Zimmer's score and theme for the Dark Knight trilogy it sticks in your brain. This one, this latest one, um, Michael Gia, Giacchino. Giacchino absolutely nails it. And his his resume is already glittering. Like the, he's one the, of my favorites. He's, he's outstanding with the, the, the movie scores he's done. Rogue One is in there. Um, he's done Planet of the Apes. He's done... Done a few Star Wars, Star Trek movies, and Star Wars yeah. movies, yeah. He, he absolutely found gold. With with the theme, with the way that the sound is, it, it adds such a foreboding touch to it all. He just nails it. That theme is going to be stuck in my brain for a long, long time because it is just perfect. Nice. It's so good. So 
bottom line, lots to like. I do have some quibbles with it. I, I mean, it's not, it's not perfect. I don't, you know, it, as far as how it stacks up against others, I have some opinions there, but it is very, very good. I will get around to seeing this, and like you said, in theaters. Yes. I have no desire to see it for the first time on HBO Max. Uh, I want to see it. Or on a phone screen nope, or something I, like that. Big, bold, bright, beautiful. That's the way I want to see this thing, and uh, I'll get there as things start to dwindle down a little bit. But before it gets yanked from the big screen, I'll get in there, and we'll make this happen. Probably at the Bemidji Theater. Yeah, probably will. So so definitely highly recommend. But yeah, giving giving some initial impressions, those those are what they are. If you like Batman, the comic book, and you like Batman's roots, you're... You're getting a touch of that in a lot of ways. Plus, you'll see threads. Uh, I mean, there's there's lots of lots of great threads to Batman Batman stories all throughout. You know, it's funny. I'm just in my brain coming up with this comparison. Not Batman to Batman, but who just saw the Batman and loved it? I finally saw a movie that's been on my sort of on my list. But there's a reason I didn't see it in theaters. You knew when it was coming out, it was going to be. Eh. I'll catch it when it's on TV for yeah, free. And no. last night on FX, I saw Independence Day Resurgence. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they I haven't a, even watched it. They made an effort, you know, but it's just, it ain't there. You know, the magic was in the bottle the first time, and the bottle is broken somewhere in that 20-year span. We don't need to go really chit-chatting about it, but, you know, it's watchable, but it's just, no. Too big? Yeah. Well, it's not that. It's you know you can make things ginormous. Look at Ready Player One. What a huge concept! But it was done so well. Ooh. But it was just, it was like trying to ride on top of a bucking bronco. It's just you're just trying as an audience member to hang on and follow what's going on oh, and not man. get bucked. And it's doing its best to lose you. It's just it you know it's spectacle and there's really nothing much tying it all together. So just we'll leave it at that. But uh, I'm glad you. Had a nice experience watching a certain movie for the first time. Yeah, <sighs> it's anyway, coming. It's coming, Dave. That I saw the first coming. one in theaters when it was brand new. That was awesome. I think yeah. I saw it three times that summer in the theaters. It was awesome. I was I'll too young. That. I was too young for that. But in my time watching Independence Day, whenever it was that I watched it the first time, I was like, "All right, I see why this was such a big deal back in the '90s." Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It, yeah. I just remember, this is the new Star Wars. Uh, hold on there, partner. We, we ain't down that trail yet. It was a really good movie. Let's just take it from here if it goes anywhere. And it's not way really. different from Star Wars, too. That's, Very. That's a strange comparison to make. Anyway. Anyway, moving forward. You know, 100 episodes. And we do have to say a couple episodes because of limitations from our original sponsor uh, or, or servers, I guess you could say. We couldn't go over an hour on an episode. So we had a couple that we broke up. So they, they count as two episodes. So for all intents and purposes, it's our 100th episode. And so we thought, what a fun way. Our very first episode basically was, well, what makes a good movie? We've done just about five years worth of shows, all kinds of topics, probably not every topic, but most things. And, you know, we could certainly get a little more, you know, needled in on the finer details, but has our perspective changed on what makes a movie? And you and I talking yesterday came up with an interesting idea that kind of goes along with this rewatchability. You know, some people only want to watch one thing one time. That's, well, I know the surprise. I don't need to see it anymore. Yeah. But how many of you will watch Ghostbusters or whatever? Over and over and over and over again, you know every line, you know every camera shot by heart, but yet we still get something out of it for seeing it for the 43rd time. Uh, I think the 100th time I saw Back to the Future was probably with you 
on that uh, 2015 anniversary date where we did the, the trilogy, triple feature at my house. Everybody came. That was a party. That was Dressed fun. up like Marty McFly. Yeah, I had the Doc Brown thing going and then switched into Doc's Western outfit later. It was just a fun, good time. And that was probably my hundredth time watching that movie legitimately. And I still get joy out of it. I've seen it a few times since then. So it's it's just a great time. So what makes some movies rewatchable? And I don't necessarily mean like, I think I haven't seen this movie in like two years. It's due to watch it again. I mean, you could watch it and then just rewind the tape to go back in time, so to speak, when that was a thing, and watch it again. And I don't mean in a Christopher Nolan memento kind of way where all of a sudden the big twist comes and you're like, what? I have to watch that again to see. You know, I mean, just that was so good. Yes, let's watch it again. It's like sitting in the theater and just not leaving until dinner time. Over and over and over. Yeah, that's where we started in the good, the bad, and the fill-ins. Yeah. What makes a good movie? And we have talked about rewatchable movies. We've we've discussed this before in, in a previous episode. But I think the the answer to that question of what makes a good movie is that very thing. It's rewatchable. It is and not just rewatchable. You could you could watch it over and over and over again and not have a problem with it. That was something that my siblings and I did growing up. Now, when I got older, I would get frustrated with my sister going, let's watch this again two days after we had just watched it. And I was like, no, we're not like, can we not watch this again? But but I understand now looking back on that, like that's how I that's how I feel sometimes after I've watched a, a great movie like there are a few movies lately that I've been really having a hankering to watch again, and I'm like, didn't I just watch this a few weeks ago? And yet I'm still also thinking in my mind, yeah, but who cares? Like, it's that good, and, and you don't mind going back again. So rewatchability is, I think, huge proof that, that a movie really sticks, that you're you really don't mind going back and watching it again. When you see this movie pop up on cable TV for like the fourth time in the past month, it's like, you know what? I could sit down and have this on while I'm working on something, and I will totally love that it's playing right now. And when the commercials are playing, I, I'm going, maybe I should just pull out my, my DVD or my Blu-ray copy of this and just go ahead and watch it. Yeah, rewatchability is, I, I think, that that critical component, and yet... Not every movie is going to be rewatchable in that way. So, so why are some more rewatchable than others? I think they've got to know themselves. Know thyself, Dave. When it comes to a good movie, knows what it wants to be, commits to it, and commits to it really, really well. I think it's a 50-50 lift. I think the movie itself and everything that it brings to the table is clearly a huge component, but I think it's in the overall it's almost half of it. Yeah, the rest of it is your personal taste. There are some people that like movies, yes. their own guilty pleasure movies, that most people wouldn't like, but they will watch it again and again and again, and it doesn't matter. you know. So I think it's a lot of what you like. But when it comes to the movie, and I think that's, I would give it 51 to 49% when it comes to that in favor of the movie. It got cover all the bases is the best way I can think it. You need a good story. It needs to be executed well, a good cast with good performances, little nuanced moments, good moments of dialogue or camp or whatever it is. You need that one special thing, that one special moment that will always stick out in people's minds, whatever that is. In the movie, it kind of all needs to be there, and it needs to be something that is easy to digest. You're not usually going to have Gone with the Wind be one of those movies as excellent a movie as it is. It needs to have almost a light 
great quality to it. Like Ocean's Eleven, I would say, is one of those movies. And I mean the George Clooney version. That's just a very good, fun, popcorn-y movie. You will get more out of it on rewatchings. There are some nuances and some eggs that are in there. Uh, maybe a couple of throwbacks to the original. That is a big part of it as well. We have a whiteboard here at our radio station where we get different questions that get put up there sometimes for everybody to come up and answer. And one of the questions a few weeks ago was, what movie, if you if you were living out Groundhog Day, what movie would you want to watch over and over again and you would never get tired of it? And that was actually one of the movies that I wrote down. I wrote down two. I put down That Thing You Do and I put down Ocean's Eleven. And for those very reasons, Dave, that it's just, it's got that quality of that's really enjoyable that you enjoy going back to over and over again. Now, Ocean's Eleven is not my favorite movie. No. That's, it's number three on my list. It's just really easy to watch again. It is. Lawrence of Arabia is number one on my list. That's another one of those longer movies like what you described earlier, but uh, with Gone with the Wind, but it it's still rewatchable for me because of how compelling it is and how well put together it is. Now, it's weightier it's longer, and there's there's a little bit of an emotional drain that comes at the end of it when you're going through this this man's life and you're experiencing all that he does. And but it but at the same time, you're left with a wow kind of feeling at the end of it too. And that's that's why that movie sticks really well with me. I think that's something that that's a big reason why. Movies that that are in the mainstream have more of a rewatchability to them than some of our some of the movies that you see go into the hunt for the Oscars each year because those are those are often weightier those are those are ones that really they they sap a lot out of you I think at the end they might be they might be very good movies but in some of those cases they may also be movies that sap a lot out of you because of their subject material or how serious they are and. Maybe you're not going to be watching, for instance, Parasite for a long time after where it it might be a movie that really resonates strongly and is a really well done movie. But at the same time, you feel a lot sapped out of you emotionally or out of your mind as well, too. And it goes, oh, man, that was good. But boy, that that left a mark. I I, I don't know if I can go back to that for a while. And yet maybe that it's it's still rewatchable just in a different way from those lighter ones that that you enjoy for a different reason you know one of my favorites that are on the list it's not on my list of favorites of all time but it's in the top 20 uh is aliens the sequel with james cameron directed it's gorney weaver's back great movie but it's like a roller coaster ride you know it's it's james cameron himself has described it as 40 miles of bad road and it is game over man oh game over man but you gotta watch the director's version it's longer but it's, it really is more of a complete story. Why was Ripley so attached to Newt? Well, there was a storyline that in the theatrical version just kind of got cut for time where she comes back after being in hypersleep for 57 years and finds out that her daughter has died of old age. She promised, I'd, I promised I'd be back for her birthday, her 11th birthday, and now she's gone. You know, and so now she's got an opportunity to kind of come full circle and, you know, raise this daughter, you know, uh, so to speak, with Newt. And it was why it was such a heartbreak when you start Alien 3 and Newt, oh, she's dead. What? That's, oh, yeah, she's just gone. What? What? So the the, the first, the second Can movie, Can we not Aliens. talk about that with Alien Sorry. 3? Sorry. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. The so less talked about dumb. the better. 
But that movie is so good, I can watch it and then turn right around. It's like getting off the roller coaster and then running back to the start of the line yeah, yeah. and getting back on because you want those thrills. You want to feel so sick, so thrilled, so scared, so exhilarated, and then go back in line and do it again. That's what Aliens is. And it's such a, it's one of those rare examples of a sequel that is better, I think, than the original. But it, maybe it depends on the day. You know, rare is The Godfather 2 or Empire Strikes Back or something where the sequel is better than the first. The Dark Star Knight. Star Trek 2, Dark Knight, yes. It's rare list. That's some thin air. And Aliens is one of them. It's a great movie, but watch the director's cut. It's longer, but it's it's much better. It's improving on the theatrical, which is rare. Go check it out. And then go check it out again and again and again. Yeah, that's saying something in and of itself because the theatrical was already extremely good. So... Yeah, rewatchability. I think that's that's one of the the biggest qualities, and one of those things that you and I have come to uh, sort of come to an understanding on. Maybe we never really knew how to be able to art- articulate it prior to getting into this podcast and and talking about all that we have. But that ability for a movie to be rewatchable and and being able to dissect that and talk through that that's been I think that's that quality that that really does stand out maybe more than most although you've got to have these other qualities like you described earlier Dave when it comes to the story the performance the way that it's shot all of those things I think feed into what makes it a movie that you just come back to again and again and again or and that you want to go back and watch because there are a lot of movies where you watch it once and you go I'm glad I got to see that I'm glad I got to check that out and then you kind of leave it and you're like, you know, I, I'm good now. You know, I, I saw that movie. I'm glad I got a chance to see it. And then you move on. And I do I do think what you said earlier is so true. It comes down to taste sometimes. Yeah. Because we may be pretty disappointed with other people occasionally of, really? You, you only saw that movie once? You thought, that nah, was all right. And then you move on? Like, how can you do that? Sometimes we feel that way about certain movies that really appeal to us a lot, but that's the way it goes sometimes. That's that's just the way it is. Sometimes you need to have repeat business. And sometimes, I've, I think I may have told the story, but to give the yang to your ying, sometimes there's movies that I'm happy I saw it simply because it's on the list of movies you need to see. Right. But I really didn't enjoy it. You know, I've, I'm well on record talking about my lack of faith in Kubrick. So yes. things like um, Clockwork Orange, it's on the list of, you know, the greatest movies you need to see. I've gotten down on this 2001, it's more art rather than a narrative story. Well, Clockwork Orange does have a story, and I can understand where some of the appeal is. But I don't think I ever need to see that movie again. And I've seen clips, and it's a brutal movie, and I I, re- I really don't have any interest in watching it. And some of the subject matter, I mean, I can handle a lot of things. I have found, since I've become a parent, I have a little more sensitivity to some things that I did even just 15 minutes before I became a parent. I could have watched that movie while in the waiting room, waiting for the son to be delivered. Six months later, trying to watch the same movie. Nope. Even if it was one that I liked. So, but this one, I got this poster that my wife got me. It's a movie poster that, according to the people that made the poster, yes. has a hundred like lotto scratch off squares. And each square is one of the hundred movies you need to see. Now, I'm not in agreement with some of them. 
Like, oh, really? This is better than this? This didn't even make the poster? You've got to be kidding me. Like, Can you Evil name Dead. one or two? Evil Dead was one of them that's okay. on the poster. I mean, I'll, I'll give it credit. I get what the appeal is, but I don't really like that movie. And I watched. So the deal was, you know, she gave me this movie poster, and I could immediately scratch off most of the squares. But where's the fun in that? Yeah. Well, we hadn't. We just had moved into this house you know, about that time. I was like, you know, here's the deal. I could scratch off Back to the Future today. A hundred times over, but there's no point. So all of these have to be watched in the house, in this house. Yes. Upstairs or downstairs, doesn't matter. If we watch it on vacation, but we're not here, it doesn't count. It's got to be in the house. So slowly, surely, we're starting to unscratch these things. And some movies, like Clockwork Orange, I have said, look, I've seen this movie. I don't care to see it again. We're scratching it off. We're giving it an exemption. I don't need to fill my house with a whole lot of that. So there are things where, but does that mean it's not a good movie? I mean, it made the poster. I don't think the people that made the posters are complete idiots. I can get why every single one of those movies is there. But one of my favorite movies of all time, actually, is American Beauty. Now, in some ways, it maybe hasn't aged as well. Kevin Spacey probably doesn't help that situation. Some of the subject material probably doesn't age too well. Um, it, probably even at the time, but it was what it was. But what I got out of the movie was at the time I was going through some tough times in life. But the theme for the movie is even if life has you down, it's never too late to get it back. And that's what really spoke to me in the movie. And I also like Sam Mendes. I like Thomas Newman as a director. The cinematography was spectacular. Subject matter was what it was. But I know people that hate that movie. It won Best Picture. But a lot of people have voted it as number one least worthy of the honor of winning Best Picture. I get all of that. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that you don't find something in it, but it speaks differently to different people. Just like the movie poster, just like rewatchability does. You like this movie. You've seen that one. How many times? I thought it was horrible. It could still be a great movie, but not all great movies can be watched over and over. Some of them take yeah. a toll. You know what I found? And I found this from the sports realm, too which is where I'm I'm especially associated. Comparison is often the thief of appreciation. Mm. Here's what I mean. When we start comparing a movie to another movie or like one competitor to another, I think sometimes we use that as a means to 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 almost put down the one that we are that we are putting beneath the other where we we say, you know, Who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? And it becomes an excuse. Jordan. It's become yeah, I would agree. <laughs> and it, but it becomes then an excuse if you feel it's Jordan or if you feel it's LeBron. It feels like an ex- an excuse to to go. Oh, the other one was not that good. The same thing I think happens with movies too, where we where we will do that, and it's like no, no, it doesn't mean that the other one is not that good. Like. There, there's a lot to appreciate about that other movie, even if you don't like it quite as much compared to the other. But I think when we start playing the comparison game, like we start to we start to nitpick then, and then we go, oh, that other one, it's not a very good movie in the end. And it's like, well, no, there there are reasons why, whether it's the cinematography or the writing, you might not like a particular movie all that much because of X, Y, and Z. And you may be very correct about why why you don't like that movie quite as much. Picture but, this. But there's, there's a reason why people appreciated it. Picture this, Hoove. You and I, we're going to sit down, we're going to have some chicken wings, and we're going to get chit-chatty. We're going to talk movies. Now, 
We could talk the fine elements of cinematography. And did you manage that shot that panned rather? We can hey, go that Hey, you don't have route. to have a monocle in your eye to yes. talk about how good cinematography is. Look like okay? Mr. Peanut. But isn't it more fun to f- discuss in a heated yet fun way who would beat up who in a fight, Batman or Superman? <laughs> oh, you got oh, you got to come. No way, yes. that's better. You, that makes it fun. You know, that's where you take your love of something and you just kind of spin it a little bit and you have fun. Who's better at this? Who's the better captain? Kirk or Picard? You know, who did the best version of the Joker? You know, I get you shouldn't compare art. I get all of that, but it's more fun. If you do have a lively discussion, because otherwise all you're going to do is agree or disagree. And even if you're agreeing or disagreeing whether a movie is good or not, right then and there you're comparing it to other examples of what a good movie is or should be. Even probably most of the episodes of this podcast would be disqualified if that was the case. But that's kind of what makes it fun. And in this day and age where you can't even barely agree on what latitude we all stand on, just on a geographical level, nobody can agree on anything. It's more fun if you're going to have a heated disagreement, but in the series of fun, over something that doesn't matter. You and I could get into it over a Batman thing if we really, really wanted to. I mean, heated and spitting while talking and just, you know, and then... Okay, is that it? Yeah, I meant, okay, well, which one should we put on? Well, let's put on the Heath Ledger one. Okay, you know, yeah. and, and we're done, you know. Here's here's another good recent example. I was I was reading through some comments. Um, I was actually, I was listening back to the theme again from the Batman, and I was reading through some comments on people's reactions to the movie, and I saw one commenter who, who had something really great to say about this movie, um, and then later on in the comments, used it as an opportunity to trash the Dark Knight, saying it's the most overrated movie of all time. And I was just rolling my eyes going, "No, all right, is anybody going to respond to this joker and, <laughs> and tell them how silly of a comment that is that, yeah, you've got... You can have your opinion on it, on it, and maybe you don't like it quite as much compared to some of the others, but come on. It's a really, really good movie, and you might not personally like it all that much, but it's still a really, really good movie. Wouldn't and to call it overrated Nolan is just silly. That, that would be confusing. It would, would be like when, uh, when uh, 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 Kevin Smith was allowing himself to be interviewed at a protest at one of his own movies. They didn't know they were interviewing the, the director. Yeah, I think this is horrible. They should never have made this movie. He did it just to do it, just for fun. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun if Christopher Nolan, yeah, The Dark Knight was horrible, just for fun. Sounds like some Spike Jones thing or something. That's, that's funny. Sort that's, of a jackass kind of thing, yeah. That's weird. <laughs> you know, one of the other things I was talking about, when we kind of did an episode based on ratings and how you would rate movies, and we came up with a better way. Most people, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down, one to ten. Generally, one to five. Yeah. Stars. You know, I got to rate you know, Independence Day Resurgence last night on IMDb as a six. And for me... If it's entertaining at all, it gets a five because that's what a movie should be. Everything beyond that, the beauty of the cinematography, the extra power in the performance, that's all gravy. That's all gravy. I want to put in a movie and be entertained. That's half the battle right there. If you can do that, you get a five. How much gravy? You get a six or a seven or whatever. I maybe have ever, ever given, I can't remember off the top of my head what they would be, maybe two tens in my life. Other movies that are super, 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 super good, a nine, because there's always room for improvement. Perfection would be a 10. Could not do better. 
is a 10. And I, I'm not thinking about that right now. I'd have to really give it some thought. But, you know, so where do we find these movies when it comes to comparison? What makes a good movie count? Would it be a 7 and above? Is 7 just a really good watchable movie but could certainly improve, but it's a lot of fun? And, yeah, I'd watch Ocean's Eleven again. I'd give that a 7 or an 8. But 8, that's pretty good. 9, just one step left of perfection, according to me. But how many 10s do you give out? So what makes a good movie? Where on that 1 to 10 scale does it start becoming magically good would it be anything north of five? Does it have to be a seven or a seven point five if you want to split that and get you know to the upper quarter of the spectrum? Whatever that case would be, what is it that makes a movie a good movie? Well, again, it's it's highly subjective because I have gone to IMDb and I I really enjoy checking out the ratings and checking out what people's reviews were on on some of these different movies and reading through them. And there have been times where I where, where I will watch a movie and then I go and check out the IMDb numbers and I'm like, boy, this this almost seems bang average, and and I can't I can't really understand why. But then I go to I go to the reviewers and it's it's refreshing then to check out people who reviewed it and rated it really highly, and going, it feels like these people get me. I, I'm not going to say that they get it. Because, again, this is all highly subjective. It's all extremely subjective. But it feels like th- that these people who review it, they, they, they get me. And they get how I see this movie, too. And that, I think, is a huge part of it. Is b- You're not going to be all things to all people when it comes to your movie. I, I think you and I can both agree oh, on absolutely. that. Absolutely. Like, and, and I think it's, it's hard to watch movies that do try to do that because... Take Star Wars, for example. They did try to be all things to all people with the sequel trilogy, and they failed. They, they did. They failed. They succeeded in some respects, yes, but they, they failed on the whole because they, they made it into something that was very choppy as a result by trying to do this and be this and satisfy this, and they ended up becoming something that did not feel like it had a properly defined identity in the end and got yanked around from movie to movie in that regard. Remember what I said earlier? You've got to know yourself. You've got to know what you want to be going in and commit to doing that very well. But with having certain elements that are definitively in place, with having a good, well-written story that, that doesn't have just cheap throwaway dialogue that has really simplistic lines to it, You've got to have it really well shot. I think I think that's one thing that movies are starting to make a comeback on, or uh, that more and more of them are really considering how they are shooting it and taking a cue from television. I think in that regard is t- in terms of really committing to good cinematography here and getting back to the realness of it too. I, I think we're starting to see a balance now, Dave. That CGI is starting to come back into a little bit more maybe of an equilibrium on. Let's have some real stuff going on here. Let's have CGI where we need it and not going too over the top with that. I think we're starting to see some equilibrium. We're starting to, on it. but I think it depends on who's doing it. That's you, right. You'll still see a big tentpole movie with horrible, there's no excuse for this, CGI, 
because somebody who's using it doesn't know how to use it as a tool. It's this is not the right decision. It still happens. Strike yeah. one. You know, I mean, Spielberg himself has even run into that. But you got you have to have a leeway. You watch some of the Indiana Jones movies, and I mean, like the ones from the '80s. Clearly, that's a dummy or some animated dude falling off the bridge. It's not real. But this is 1984. Whatever year, whatever movie came out, CGI barely existed. I mean, they used it for what it worked, and it worked at the time. It hasn't aged well, but okay. Two things. Number one, a quick little side route here. This almost goes back to the beginning with our uh, with our news bibs and bobs. Did you hear what Steven Spielberg's new project is? Uh, remind me. It sounds like he's going to be doing a project related to Frank Bullitt. Oh, I did hear that. You yeah. did. Okay. Steve McQueen. But it's not going to be a remake, it sounds like, of Bullet. It sounds like it's going to be a story involving his character. Yeah, more like, yeah, I kind of get the vibe of reconceptualization. Yes. it's You get the same pieces on the board, more or less in the same position, but it's a whole different game. Yeah, not a remake, thankfully. It, yeah. It's what it sounds like anyway. Yeah, so, that would be interesting. It sounds like, come on. Are we seriously going to remake Bullet? Yeah, add, adding to him and his story. That's what it sounds like. And I, I have nothing wrong with that. If you want to do some sort of a reconceptualization, the same idea, okay. Um, within reason, I don't think I would right. go too far with some things. But, you know, something like that, yeah, that, that'd be okay. But I, can he make it a good movie? And that might be yeah. a little bit of a dovetail here. How can you do something that many consider sacred territory, particularly when it comes to the action street racing? That sequence in the movie is is iconic. Uh, in the streets of San, that was San Francisco, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Where you doing the jumps off the the streets? If you've ever been to San Francisco, that's like a yes. it's like a chase scene waiting to happen on those places. <laughs> How can you go and retread enough? to get some of the juice out of the original, but having to go into different directions and different places to make it a different movie, but one that is worthy, and you don't walk out saying, "Why I don't know why they remade that. Was, everything that needed to be said was said in the first one. Offer something that was, you know, you need to get a little something of the same, like Ghostbusters Afterlife. Did you see that one yet? Speaking of which, no, I still yet. haven't seen all Afterlife right, right. yet. But you got to offer something new. That might be a good example right there what makes a good movie. That's right, and yet one that, no, again, knows itself know thyself know who you are and and do it really well with some some serious craft to it sometimes it does feel like when you sit down and watch a movie you're left going i i feel like i just watched some kind of production studio fluff like that's meant to hit target audiences and loses a real sense of character that i just watched that movie last night really (laughs) Independence Day research. Yeah, okay, there we go. Yeah, I forgot that you watched it last night. Big Aliens, check. Couple of returning cast, check. Will Smith, big zero no there. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes it feels like you're watching, yeah, a checklist of things that that have been put together by the studio that is producing the movie of, all right, if we hit this, we're going to get this demographic. If we hit this, we're going to get this demographic, you can't we're going to promote a movie it paint this by numbers. way, but they do. They Dave. do, but you can't. Movies are paint by numbers these days. That's no, but what give it's me become. an example of one of those that worked. I don't mean financially. I mean, and that's of course where some people. That's all that matters. It has to be. It has to be more than that. It's good to be profitable. Yes, it's a business. I get it. 
But if the movie sucks, who cares? It How doesn't... many times have you sat through one of the biggest box office hits of the year and hated every minute? And so did the whole theater around you hated this movie. Yes. But they didn't care because they already had your money. You're already in the seat. And only then do you find out it's horrible. What paint by numbers, check off the list kind of movie was successful more than just opening weekend? It doesn't See, matter. There isn't one. You couldn't do it. But it doesn't matter, Dave. And it doesn't matter to them. They still they they will still go ahead and do it. I mean, you and I, uh, you you have a, a bag full of metaphors that you bring with you that when we do this podcast, I'm sure people Truck. are I'm sure people are used to it by now. Waiting to go, what metaphor is Dave going to use here during this episode at some point? Like the but I one of my favorites that that you use is talking about how a movie is like a dinner. It is like a, a, you want it to be a thorough four-course, three-course kind of meal that is well-prepared and well-thought-out. That's, that's a, strong, a strong restaurant meal is what you want out of this. You don't, you don't want fast food that's going to be quick and a people-pleaser but it, it, that's maybe on the surface but is not going to be thorough and satisfying and making you going, I got to come back here again. And were you really getting something out of it? It's funny you should mention that because the first time I ever saw Field of Dreams, McDonald's had a promotion for an extra three ninety nine. You could get one of four movies, and I chose Field of Dreams. <laughs> I went home with my Big Mac, and I watched Field of Dreams for the very first time and loved it. So I don't know. There may be a room for a fast food movie. Maybe there is. I'm also the same guy that has my own guilty pleasure movie that I will rewatch at some point that I've told people, don't watch this movie. I'm not recommending it on any level. If you watch it, you are on your own. It is not a four-course anything other than it is a bag of, you know, milk duds. That's what that movie is. It's something sweet, something stupid, and it's probably going to get caught in your teeth. That's what that movie is. I'm not even going to tell you the name of the movie. I've already said it before. You leave it at that. Oh, it doesn't why ma- can't I think of it? Real Men. It's John Belushi and John oh, Ritter. Oh, yeah. It's yep. dumb. Yep. I don't yep. recommend it to anybody, <laughs> but I find things about it that are funny. But I, that's me. I'm a big idiot. But that's my one, God, that's a horrible movie, and I love it, movie. But I don't recommend it to, oh, you know, I heard that podcast idiot said it was really, really good. Let's watch it. Don't judge me on that. That's a horrible movie, but it's really fun and really stupid. Underline stupid. You know, that's, that's another part of what we've discussed on this podcast too, Dave. And when I have conversations with people and they go I really really love this movie I recoil in horror sometimes at what they tell me they really really enjoy and I'm like what you like that oh no but if you can fully explain your why then that movie has succeeded I mean that movie that movie regardless of what its IMDB rating is or regardless of what its its Rotten Tomatoes score is, that movie has succeeded then. It has, it has worked where it resonates with people and it, even if it doesn't make any sense to, to maybe the critics or people on, on the outside on the whole, if it, if it knows itself and it has a lot it has people who have really who have really found a niche with that movie, then that can work. I'm trying to think of a movie. I, I was just looking it up on IMDb a while ago, and and I had just watched the movie, and there uh, I, I thought it was pretty good, but then it, it didn't score out all that well 
on the whole. And yet people were saying on IMDb, don't pay any attention to what people are saying about this movie. It still works. It's still very good. I, I wish I could remember what it was. But I thought that made the point pretty well, that it, it truly is in the eye of the beholder. You know, movies are like coffee, are like music, are like food. Everybody likes it, but everybody likes it their own way and their own style and their own flavor and their own blah 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 Like that shirt that Kevin's wearing, I love it. You've been knocking him all day. It's just, it's Kevin's style and that's all that matters. So I like my coffee the way I've got my coffee. And I had somebody, what kind of coffee is that? And this is before the pandemic. Do you mind if I have a little, no, by a, oh, and their face did that. I like it with a lot of cream and a lot of sugar. I'm kind of like uh, Harvey Keitel in, uh, in, uh, in Pulp, Pulp Fiction. How do you like your coffee? A lot of cream, a lot of sugar. That'll kill you, you know. What are you, my mother? It's just it's my coffee. <laughs> I like my movies the way I like them. Some of them are very much in the mainstream, and some of them are like, really? And whatever, whatever works for you, that's what matters. When you sit down and it's your night with a remote control and you can watch whatever you want without wife or girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or whoever staring at you from across the couch, giving you the look, this is what I have to – yes, it is. Sit down, be quiet, and enjoy it. That's that's what really matters. If you could put something down and watch it and enjoy it, whether it's something for the hundredth time or something that you heard was pretty good and you kind of wanted to check it out or you saw the first one, you might as well see the second one. All right, there's a reason you didn't go see it in the theater. Yep, suspicions confirmed. Not really all that good. At least not something I wanted to plunk down $15 to go see when I know in about a year or so I will see it for basically the cost of my basic cable hookup, which, yes, I still have. Eh, I need to take a look. I, I really do need to go back through my computer history to figure out what that movie was. But I thought it made that point really well, that it is it is in the eye of the beholder. Well, and it's like anything else. If it's something you want to – I don't regret seeing it. You know, it's just it's, – it's a popcorn movie, and it is trying to check off the boxes. They are trying to give you a little more of what you saw the first time, but also give you something new. It's not like there's no redeeming features in this movie. It's, it's a watchable movie. But how rewatchable is it going to be? I don't know. But then again, people said the same thing about when National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation came out in 1989. It was an also-run movie. Oh, how do you think it was compared to the first Vacation? Not as good, man. Not as good. Now, for some reason, maybe Target back in 1990 had a big sale on those VHS copies when they came out. And everyone bought one for their dad. And then they watched that movie every single Christmas. And now it's become a staple. Now it is almost bowed down at the Christmas tree of Chevy Chase when that movie was brand new. It wasn't that good. How that is does it? seem hard to believe. But yeah. it's, that's what it was. And now it has become better now than it was then. There's nothing different with the movie. It's all of our perspectives. And in a lot of ways, well, many of us have watched it over and over and over and over again that it has just become a staple for Christmas time. It is the new It's a Wonderful Life or Christmas Story, Christmas Vacation. And I'm sure... Maybe Just Friends is another kind of Christmas movie with Ryan Reynolds that I think is a great movie, but hasn't caught on the same way. Oh, well. But it doesn't matter. If you like it and you find a lot to enjoy about it, and I do, it's not a bad movie. I don't think it's the best movie I've ever seen, but I get it. I absolutely get why it is so high up on the list like it is. But I think you've also got to be able to explain your reasoning. Yeah. You've got to be able to explain why why this works. Why why is it a good movie? If you if you can have a pretty good explanation and about why it resonates to you rather than I don't know, I just think it's good. I, I think sometimes people fall back on that and I'm like, 
No, explain it to us a little bit here. I want I want to know why. Sometimes I I really want to know why you think that's a good movie. But if you can explain it, if you can articulate it and you can give a really good bit of reasoning for why, then I respect that. I I fully respect that. I think fun as a concept is something that is almost palpable when it comes to a movie. And not just yeah. the movie is fun. You could tell the people were having fun making that movie. Movies like The Other Guys, we have Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. That is a fun movie. And they knew when they were making it, this is over the top, but this is fun. And everyone's going to have a good time. Do not take it seriously at all. But if you just sit down and get some good popcorn and enjoy it, it's a hoot. But I also know if I sat down and I went home to visit the parents and I brought the movie with me, hey, it's movie night. You'll love this. My parents would hate it. They called them Dave movies because, yeah, in the movie theater, here comes a, tonight, this movie, uh, that's a Dave movie. We're not watching that. And they would be right. But that's not to say that everyone's going to love that movie. You but tried. there's a lot to love about that movie. It takes it to the edge and then just a little farther into the bizarre. And in my sensibility, I think it's a hoot and a half. I think fun were movies like that. Went out. I showed Flash Gordon to my wife a couple of years ago because of the Queen soundtrack. And uh, when my son was born, funny enough, the beat to the song Flash Gordon, that was how you had to pat him on his back. That was the rhythm. That was the time you had to keep to get him. <laughs> so while I'm patting him on the back, trying to settle him down, and my man, Flash. So I had to explain this to my wife. And there's an Italian actress that's in that movie. Her name is Ornella Moody, and she was my first real big celebrity crush. And that movie is not... It's wonderful, Dave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this movie is not a great movie, but it is so campy, and it has to know how campy it is. You can still see... This is 1980. This is the same year Empire Strikes Back comes out. You could still see the strings on the little ships in Flash Gordon as they're flying around. It is way over the top. Even uh, Max von Sydow, who plays Ming the Merciless, he is in it for the fun and probably the paycheck. There's, there is a lot to redeem about that movie, even though it is a steaming pile of camp. But that's what makes it work. That's the fuel on which it runs. They had to know. Maybe somebody was like, man, this is, this is serious, man. We're going to nail it. No, no, no. This is a spoof off of the original serials in a very campy way with Queen doing the entire soundtrack. And it rocks. It's a great movie, but it's the kind of movie when you're going to walk out of the theater or put away the DVD or whatever, and you're going to lift your eyebrows and look to whoever recommended it. Wow, Hoove, that was uh, quite a show. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's that's kind of the risk that movies that are especially zany or humorous or irreverent go for, is you are going to divide opinion, but for the people who like it, they're going to love it. Just this past weekend, I was, I was with a bunch of high schoolers at, at a youth retreat where I was speaking, and a few of them came up to me and went, Joel, have you ever watched Napoleon Dynamite? I was like... Mm. Guys, have I ever watched Napoleon Dynamite? I was in middle school when Napoleon Dynamite came out. Yes, I have watched Napoleon Dynamite. There were Vote for Pedro t-shirts all over the school. There's one where it truly divides opinion. Dave is cringing right now. I mean, you heard that little chuckle there as I, as I mentioned it. Dave hates that movie. That wasn't there, a chuckle. That was breakfast coming back. Right. Then somebody like me goes, you know what? 
it it was funny. It it was funny. And for me and my siblings, I mean, we we crack up at different parts of that movie. It just it hits differently when it's an irreverent kind of movie and zany. Here's another example um, that I thought of too when you were talking about uh, when you were giving the examples there previously. I I think speaking of camp, speaking of it, a movie of its time. Read the reviews sometime on the 1960s Casino Royale. What a bombastic, crazy, ridiculous movie that spoof, was. Spoof, though. And a major, major spoof. Yes. A spoof on the James Bond movies, a spoof on so many elements of them. But look at that cast that's in that movie. Look at the people that they got for that. Peter Sellers, yeah, that makes sense. Sure, that he would be involved with that because this was a comedic one. But they had David Niven. They had Joanna Pettit. They had Woody Allen. They they the had first Ursa, Bond girl, Ursula, Ursula Andress. Ursula yeah. Andress, they had her in there too. And that's just to name a few. They, they had Deborah Carr appear in a cameo role. Same with Orson Welles. And you're like... What? What What in the world? And yet, I read people who are like, I love the music for this movie. I loved this movie. Yes, it's totally campy and ridiculous and dumb, but it's funny. And again, they're, they're, they have, they've got their reasons, Dave. They've yeah. got their reasons that it works for them, even though it's like, oh my gosh, what in the world was this? I think I can almost always appreciate what there is redeemable about a movie. There are examples where are just absolutely unredeemable. Somebody clearly was was smuggling cocaine in the film canisters, but they actually had to make a movie in order to move the film canisters. So I guess we'll have to make a movie then. Yeah. Nothing redeemable about that. And thank you, Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. That was pretty much the plot in yeah, that movie, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there which is, is barely redeemable. Ugh, there's nothing redeemable about that. But even things like Napoleon Dynamite, I think it would be a great sketch for Saturday Night Live. And after, after five minutes, it's done. It has said all it needs to say. But it had 90 more minutes it had to fill. And at that point... It's, yeah, we need to see Kip running over Tupperware at that with point, his van. Even the best joke runs its length. And then if it runs a little longer, okay, that joke ran real thin, real fast. And by the time it was well, that's over, why the ba- I was done. That's why the Batman is a three-hour movie and Napoleon Dynamite is not. That's true. But Batman had a lot to say in three hours, I'm assuming, because I haven't seen it yet. And so did the last Lord of the Rings movie. But my bladder is probably still damaged from the end of that movie where I had to go. And after the third ending, it was finally time to get up and go. (laughs) By the time Napoleon Dynamite's brisk, what, 90-minute runtime was over, I was already halfway up in my chair, coat on, hat on, keys open, and car running. Okay, now we can go. That's... That's a big reason why when the when the previews were rolling during the Batman, I was like, I better run to the bathroom really, really, <laughs> really quick just to be safe. I thought so, you'd come like a bag strap to your leg or something, just prepared for all eventualities. No, no, I No, I had I drank at the house. I'm good. I'll have some more salt to suck up the fluids. That's why I was glad that when Lawrence of Arabia was back in theaters again when they had that limited run on the big screen, they did a real intermission with it, an actual intermission. I was like, this is great. Snack bars run on that kind of thing. Yeah, this is just like it used to be. So, yeah, you you have to... I, I think you knowing your own palate helps and knowing why, but what makes a good movie, what makes it into a... Like, you can't just go off of a rating. You you truly yeah. can't. You I, I think... And I think sometimes we... We let ourselves, we talked about this with Rotten Tomatoes before, we let ourselves get too caught up in what the review rating is or what the IMDb rating is. 
sometimes you have to take a chance. Now, yes, if you are going and spending spending your money on this, maybe you do have to be a little bit more considerate and be be a consumer who's going to be somewhat shrewd. Is this worth $20? Right. No, but, not, but, in, not Independence Day Resurgence. But at the same time, you have to also be willing to take a chance. You have to know what you like and know, you know what, yeah, forget about what the, the critics might be saying here. Like, I need to give this a shot and see what I think of it and and see about, and we've encouraged this on, on this podcast. We, we've encouraged, hey, know what you really enjoy in a movie. Know, know what works for you. And I think that's been one of the biggest things that we have perhaps discovered over the course of recording this podcast is with each topic that we talk about, with each genre, with each here's what's going on currently kind of thing, it helps to refine the way that you watch movies more and more. I think you and I have refined the way that we watch movies and not in a way to go, well, I'm going to be shoehorned into watching a certain kind of movie now. No, it's also helped us to go, maybe I need to consider watching this movie or watching that movie maybe more than we would have in the past it has helped us it has helped us open up our palate and yet also refine what we appreciate in our palate too you know to to give you a musical parallel here i think there's a bonus to finding a couple of seven movies for seven brothers i got you covered here (laughs) find a song that you like find an artist that you like and then listen to the whole album all of it you know, and you might find some song that's on that album. I really, really like that. It's not one that comes out as a single. Oh yeah! But all of a sudden, I love the, doing that. Is this U two? What what song is this by U two? I'm just going to make up a title here. It's uh, sitting at the table. Is that well, I never heard of that song? I always saw on their Rattle and Hum album. I just made that up, by the way. I'm just we're just going to. I never heard <laughs> of that song. Well, I listened to the album and I just I really liked it. I'll tell you one U two song that I do like that's not well known. It's called Crumbs from Your Table. It was off their How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb album. It's a really good song, but it's not a single. And if you didn't listen to the album, you won't know it. But it's also something that you wouldn't try. I didn't want to go see Independence Day Resurgence because I knew it wasn't going to be worth the 20 bucks to go see it, quite honestly. I was like, eh, I'll wait. You know, there's other movies that are out that I would rather spend my money on. A, I'm a, and B, I'm a parent now. I can't just go running off to the movies all the time like I used to. I got to pick my battles here. And yeah. secondly, on top of that one, it's point B, B.2, whatever. Does my wife want to see this movie? Are we going to have to get a babysitter and us go see this movie, not just me? You know, you got to pick your battles. But then when you know it comes up on FX TV and I'm already paying for a basic cable package or it shows up on Netflix, huh, I didn't see this. I'd like to see this finally. I'm already paying for the service, not for the movie, but for whatever I might want to see. Sure, I might as well. I think that's a great example, Dave. I, one of my favorite bands, if, if not my absolute favorite band, is Coldplay. And I love finding those couple of songs on each album that go beyond the singles where you find this gem of a song and you go this is this is amazing this is such a good song to listen to and i i can think of a few that come to mind and that are running in my head right now that that are beyond the singles that have been really really good and I think movies are like that too, and I, I think you you give yourself a chance when you open up that palette to give some more a try. And if you've if you've really refined what you like, what you don't like, you go, all right, you know what? I'm I'm willing to take a shot here with this movie. I'm re- I'm willing to see it and see what it's got. And I I, I think classic movies in particular afford that. And, and I talk to people sometimes who are like, 
wow, why did I not dabble in classic movies a little bit more? And I and I love the surprises that you find with that. I mean, Finding the Thomas Crown Affair, I watched that on TV one day. It was on TCM, and I was like, hey, this has got Steve McQueen in it. Sure, I'll, I'll check this out. And it sounds kind of intriguing. And then I watched it, and I was mesmerized. I mean, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is one of the coolest movies I've ever seen. And then Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway, I was like, this is one of the best on-screen romances that I've seen too. Like the chemistry just crackles. I was like, this is so good. And now it's a top five movie for, for me. It's a top five movie. You, you might surprise yourself when you take a shot sometimes. Give yourself the opportunity to explore the space and find something. If you're interested in it for any reason, because so-and-so's in it, because so-and-so directs it, I like so-and-so's cinematography, I think I like the color orange, and I see a lot of orange. Whatever it is that draws you to the movie, don't let somebody else tell you that you can or can't. Now, maybe on any given night, it's movie night, and everyone gets to put up a selection, and no one wanted to watch your movie. That's fine, majority rules. But then come back around to it. If it was on Netflix and you didn't get to watch it, when you get to go home, go watch it on Netflix. Go, don't not see something because somebody says you can't or it's no good. It doesn't matter. They might be right, but it doesn't mean that you can't find out for yourself. Yeah. There are movies that people don't like that I love, and there's movies that I really like that a lot of people don't. It doesn't matter there will if be it appeals to you. Dissenting opinions. Absolutely. It's, um, boy, there are so many movies that are out there to love and, and reasons why to love them. Even movie trailers. Every now and again, I'll just go watch a clip from a movie, just the clip. That one point, the way that it was done was excellent, or I want to see that movie trailer from such and such movie. It Back in the day, they made you want to watch those movies. These days, not so much. It feels more like a commercial. I mean, I know they're all commercials. I get that. But some of them were almost art pieces, and others were just like we were talking about, checkmark, 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 and something that's the same as before. But you go watch you know, a particular movie trailer, and it may not be that great a movie, but the trailer was 15 times better than the movie, <laughs> just the way yeah, they presented it. It's sad. It's sad how often that is the case, although I'm glad that, that some movie trailers – Creed, the social network that that come to mind, built into a really good movie. Then that did follow. Thank yeah. goodness. You know, and Inception. Uh, that was another. You know, I think a good way to wrap up the show, not just about what makes movies good and what makes a good movie. Why are we, Hoove and I, doing our 100th episode about movies? What is it about movies that we love so much? What is it about them that brings us in, and we are absolutely beholden to them we are absolutely captivated by them why do you love movies so much Hoof? not any given movie movies i love the storytelling and the visual storytelling that it offers too i i'm somebody who grew up and and really enjoyed reading growing up and i still enjoy reading today i i love i love stories and i love the way that they fuel the imagination and even a even a movie fuels your imagination and provides with it you know the music the compelling characters and the emotional response that then comes through all of those things put together and i like how sometimes I, and sometimes they can provide a window into things that we experience in everyday life even if it's even if it's a movie like Star Wars, one of the one of the things that I appreciate most about The Empire Strikes Back is 
spiritual parallels that, that I find in that movie that I think are very strong. When Yoda interacts with Luke and raises the X-Wing, it's one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. There are some strong spiritual parallels there that I appreciate a lot. And I, I love movies where it feels like there are, there are lessons for the present day that maybe they aren't necessarily beating you over the head with them. They are, they are intrinsically laced in this story that's being told. And some movies do beat you over the head with those themes and the, those those subjects that come up. But I love when they don't. I love when it's within the context of the story and it really makes you think. It's a movie that makes you think beyond beyond just that movie. I love the entertainment aspect of them too, that they they look to entertain. And maybe in that entertainment there, there's a resonance piece that comes with it as well. But it is, a, it is a blend of so many different things across so many different subjects, and in so many different ways, I love the way that they fuel the imagination, and they, they really they get your imagination going and the way that that can carry over into your everyday life and give you creative ideas and make you creative and think in the way that, that you are. But you also have to be able to draw that line. I love in the movie A Little Romance when... Um, when Lawrence Olivier's character in there, the pickpocket, is talking to Danielle, this this boy who who watches movies all the time, and he loves he loves going to movies, and he picks up little little idiosyncrasies from the movies that he carries into his everyday life, and then when he meets this girl Lauren, who's played by um, oh no, I was on such a good run there, who's played by um, Diane Lane, um, and he he uses all these different movie lines and quips and funny things like that with her, and and yet there's a certain point in the movie where Lawrence Olivier's character says to him, um, when after he's been after he's been um, criticized for for living in a fantasy world of his own making with his life he turns it around on this boy and says to him is it any better than you sitting around in movies all day and watching these these movie characters and then mimicking them we have to be able to draw that line between the movie and real life and yet sometimes the movie speaks to real life in a strong way and does so in a way that's very entertaining and very compelling and very enjoyable, and especially when it's a shared experience with others. Yeah, I think I could probably echo everything you just said. I love the storytelling, but I also love, and I have found, I'm a reader of books, but not voraciously. I'm mostly reading news and stuff, so stories and things, not so much. But when I have read them, yeah, it kind of takes me away. But I generally don't find the time to sit down and just pour through it. When I get into a story, I want to get through a story, and having a two-hour movie or whatever they are, is manageable. Three hours, a little less so, but you can, you know, sometimes find the time to do that. But I love how movies seem to have the ability to absolutely grab you and pull you to where it wants you to go. And even if that means make you sympathetic with the bad guy's position, you know, I'm a good person and I want to be the best. Oh, really? Let's try to spin things around a little bit. Here's somebody that's doing bad things and you're going to find yourself rooting for them. I will. I love that guy. You know, you don't want to see Hannibal Lecter captured, but he's a horrible guy. So you find yourself kind of rooting for him like the anti-hero and many, many, many other examples. I'm not saying he was a good guy. I'm not rooting for Hannibal Lecter. I'm not not rooting for him, but you find yourself in a way oddly drawn to him. He's so ridiculously intelligent, and you don't necessarily want to see him eating the guards. True. I'm not defending who he is. I'm just saying as a character worth watching, if he's captured, 
maybe you you know what what interesting could there you get now who's giving me the look uh they make you they Clarice. absolutely transport you away to a point where you're going to forget that you're in a room filled with maybe a few hundred strangers when there's not a pandemic going on and you're all having some sort of a shared experience but at the same time maybe walking away with a different perspective on things like cheering for the bad guys you never know uh and it does it in such a way that you are absolutely forget Everything you forget. There's a stranger at home watching over your child. You you're not even sitting in the theater with your date anymore. You are now magically pulled into a land far, far away with whatever's going on. I love that. I love when you set it up correctly at the house and not looking at a little teeny screen. You're pulled away, and I think the more engrossed you are, the better it is. And the so sitting in the airport, experience. yeah. I mean, if you're just trying to kill time in the airport, I get it, but that can't be the norm because it's not one of the best effects of movies. Really, doesn't work when you're just consuming it like a McMeal versus actually sitting down to the four course meal, like you said. Let it do what it's trying to do in the best way it possibly can, and pull you in. Tiny little devices. It's hard for my hips to fit through that screen. You know what I mean? Let's get into it. I love that power. I love the stories that are told so many times and the ways that they can be told and how they can just absolutely move you and they can actually speak to ways. There are some instances, and not to get too heavy, where you'll sit down and watch a movie that you haven't seen before and something in the movie, something that the movie's about, whatever the case, has an effect on your real day life. And in a weird way, maybe your life isn't the same way again. Maybe you're in a tough place and you watch somebody go through a similar experience on screen and they make their way through it and they show you that there is hope. Uh, They show you a path to a way of life that maybe you didn't consider where your life now starts to imitate an art as an inspiration to move forward. Uh, James Doohan, who played Scotty, had one gal at a convention that came up to him and said, you know, I was almost suicidal, and I just saw you do something in one of the show once, and I said, I want to try and be an engineer, and I want to try and do this. And she did, and she succeeded, and she got a pretty good life, and Doohan said, anytime I come through your area, I want to see you here at this convention. I'll make time for you. We'll go off and we'll talk. And that girl credited him with saving her life just by watching Star Trek. It's amazing what some of that stuff can do. So don't sell that power short. And if it inspires you to become a scientist or a police officer or a fireman or join the military or just be a better dad, by goodness, the power of movies, they can transform us. And I love when they do, even when it's just in a dumb, real men kind of way. Yeah. And... Again, you have to put them in their proper place. They are not an end-all, be-all kind of thing in life. But when they are put in their proper place, it's pretty cool the things that can come from them, the lessons that you can learn from them, the shared experiences that you can have with other people through movies. You have to be able to put them in their proper place, though, and be able to recognize this is a movie. This is a depiction of something. But it may be a depiction of what we see going on all around us sometimes. Life imitates art, imitates life. That's right. It's that circular kind of rhythm and flow. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport, and we thank them for their continued sponsorship with us over these last almost five years, and now 100 episodes that we have put together. And And counting. And counting, and it has been a fun ride along the way what what can we say we love movies and if you're listening to us we're glad that you have something to clean and need something to listen to or that you might actually love movies too that's right shared experience so on we go into the future and on to 
new topics, new discussions. I'm looking forward to when we get to review the Batman together, and I'm I'm not necessarily doing that with this episode like I did with um with James Bond and with No Time to Die. We'll uh we'll save the Batman and may- maybe make it a joint review once you're done. I'll get there. Maybe maybe another two episodes, three episodes or so. Yeah. I'll get around to seeing it, but yep. uh, definitely want to. We'll get to it. So. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks over the years and over these 100 episodes that we've had. It's been awesome getting to do this podcast, and Dave and I, we can both speak to this. We have a lot of fun doing this together. I look forward to most every other Tuesday morning when we generally tend to record. I bring in breakfast and some coffee, and what better way to start your day at work than having breakfast and chit-chat movies? Oh, Hoove, you're totally wrong. This movie's awesome. It's fun. It's a good way to go. It really is fun. Thanks for joining us and having fun with us for it. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at at the the movies. movies.